more adrenaline because he, he said we have to get them out of the ICU so he can get the next patients in today. And so if they're on like one or two mils an hour of noradrenaline, it was really annoying. You couldn't turn it off. He'd just give them Sudafed and kick them out. <laughs> so, so that was a sort of... You know, and that was... Uh, Hi everyone, uh, welcome back to the Blue Podcast. This week I've managed to twist someone's arm <laughs> to come to a podcast. I've got uh, Riley with me, she's uh, one of the uh, provisional fellows who's working here at King Edward. She um, uh, hails from the Hunter Valley originally, was done most of her training in John Hunter Hospital over there and more recently has been working at Royal Perth Hospital. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming along, Riley. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, so, <clears throat> um, just a little bit of background to this week's topic. So, um, uh, I asked Riley if she would help um, work with and uh, and our high dependency staff to look at introducing oral midadrine, um, and we're going to go through what it is and uh, how it's used. Um, so, um, quick disclaimer: neither of us are experts in this but we've done a little bit of research uh, and a bit of education because we have um, got it on our um, pharmacy and we uh, have introduced it to our hospital so I thought it was a good um, opportunity since uh, Riley just given us a our department a bit of a talk on it um, to talk about it in a general nature and hopefully um, provide some I don't know insights or education to people who have never heard of it because I know it's not that some people obviously have used it, but not, uh, a lot of people may not have even heard of its use. Um, many years ago, as just a little anecdote, many years ago when I was doing um, cardiothoracic ICU, one of the intensivists I work with used to give people oral Sudafed, you know, the, the stuff you use as a <laughs> decongestant to get them off their noradrenaline because he, he said we have to get them out of the ICU so he can get the next patients in today. And so if they're on like one or two mils an hour of noradrenaline, it was really annoying. You couldn't turn it off. He'd just give them Sudafed and kick them out. <laughs> um, so that was a sort of, you know, and that was, um, I don't know, what year was that? I'm giving away my age. I think that was like 2002. So that's a long time ago, mm. 20 years ago. Okay, Riley, I've been doing most of the talking. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to tell everyone, uh, yeah, tell us all about um, oral midodrine then? Okay, yeah, so as you said, Roger, I'm definitely not an expert on midodrine at all. I've just been having a little look into um, what it is and how we can use it in our practice. Um, after seeing some um, anaesthetists over at Royal Perth using it for patients and um, we've had a few cases in our ASCU, our high dependency unit here, which seem to have been um, a pr- patients that could have benefited from midodrine so we came up with a guideline so we could use it in the future so midodrine it's a oral alpha-1 adrenoceptor agonist that increases the systemic vascular resistance um, leading to a corresponding increase in this um, blood pressure and map for given cardiac output so some of the uh, pharmacokinetics so so it's sort of like an oral form of metaraminol or or 
and you know fairly from those sort of vasopressors that we're usually given intravenously. Yeah, exactly. Yep. yep, yep. So it's um, oral bioavailability is ninety three percent, and it is metabolized into its active metabolite des glymidogrine, which is responsible for its therapeutic effects. It does take 60 to 90 minutes to get peak effect and then you get about four to five hours of duration of action afterwards. Yep. Um, it's cleared by the kidneys as well. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't have really any um, neurological side effects. Um, and typically a dose of about 10 milligrams raises the systemic blood pressure, uh, systolic blood pressure by about 10 to 30 millimetres of mercury at the 60-minute mark. Yeah, so I know we're going to talk about um, who to use it and, and mm. that sort of thing in a, in a little bit, but I guess I like if you've got someone who's just got a little bit of a low blood pressure and they've, they're otherwise well and eating and drinking, you can one option could be to give them this. This I mean, the theory behind this is you give them this tablet. Uh, what is it? Three or four times a day. Um, it's up to six times a day. Up to so six you could times give it a day. Every four hourly. Yeah, yeah, up to six times hourly. a day, and that pushes their blood pressure up into a more comfortable. Uh, range, yeah, and exactly. w- same same as the other vasoconstrictors that we use intravenously. Yeah, exactly. Um, so some of the potential benefits, I guess, is um, thinking about reducing our vasopressor infusions earlier. Once we give the midodrine, um, get the patient out to the ward because they're now on a tablet. Um, potentially earlier post-op mobilization, and there's been some studies in the orthopedic population looking at uh, whether it's useful in um, helping people mobilise sooner after surgery. Yep. Um, also thinking about patients who um, go to the ward, maybe fewer code blues or met calls and reduced in, um, admissions to the high dependency unit if we can yep. use this medication early on the wards. What about the um, excessive IV fluid administration? Because when you're an mm. RMO or someone else on the ward and the blood pressure is low, you don't really have many many tools to use except give people lots of fluid sometimes. I think, yeah, that's right. I, I wouldn't recommend uh, RMOs start prescribing midodrine for every <laughs> no, patient. I, don't know why I think I said it RMOs. should still be uh, um, prescribed by a critical yeah, guess, care doctor, but I think it's useful yeah. in those situations where you could tr- keep the patient on the ward and treat yeah. them rather than um, Good giving point. them... <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you pulled me up there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to any RMOs out there. I'm not sure why, <laughs> why I said that. So, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, it probably um, uh, is not. You know, should only be prescribed by someone who's, you know, used to prescribing vasoconstrictors. I guess. Yeah, I think so, yeah. and that's definitely what we've decided in our this hospital. Yeah. Um, to keep it to the. I guess I was. I was probably just thinking back to when I was an RMO, where I was <laughs> thrown under the bus and had no one to uh, help me. You just keep giving. I remember when I was a ward RMO twenty years ago that if I had some old um, patient on the ward. Who had a low blood pressure? The only thing I could do really was give them a bag of fluid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if they if they weren't allowed to go to a, a higher dependency area, and I'm sure we still um, overdo it with fluids on yep. the ward with patients all the time. Um, yeah. So I guess there's been um, a few studies. There's no really uh, high quality evidence on midodrine use for the sort of populations that we have. In, uh, that we look after, especially here at King Eddie's, um, where we do mostly gynae and obstetrics. Yep. There's definitely been a lot of um, single-centre trials for orthopaedic patients looking at um, uh, early post-op mobilisation and the reduce, uh, reduction of orthostatic hypotension 
yep. those patients. Um, there was this um, study. So, so just to clarify, so that's like when you're getting the patients who've had joint replacements up out of bed to do physio and things, yeah. and if they 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 can't get up because they feel dizzy, then they then that's not good for their sort of um, I don't know getting them out of hospital and getting them going quickly. <clears throat> Yeah, I think uh, early mobilisation improves the outcomes for their yeah. joint replacements, so it's a big focus. Um, and so they're just trying to see if midodrine helps get these patients up yep. Yep. Uh, earlier out of bed. Uh, but there's um, only very small studies in single centres um, that have found varying um, success with the midodrine. So in yep. some it said that possibly it was helpful and others there was no significant difference. Okay. So... Um, watch this space. Watch this space. Um, this uh, MITRE study in 2020 looked at intensive care patients, though. So it looked at patients who were already in intensive care with um, who, who had reversible treated um, any reversible causes of their hypotension already treated, and then they gave them either 20 milligram 20, 20 milligrams of midodrine three times a day or placebo. Um, yep. It was interesting that they found no significant difference in the time to the discontinuation of uh, vasopressors. But in a subgroup analysis, they did find that patients who had epidurals did benefit from the midodrine yes. and had better <coughs> uh, outcomes than patients who didn't have neuroaxial blocks. So that is relevant to our population over here at King Eddie's where we're doing a lot of neuroaxial spinals and epidurals. Yeah. And um, it may be because these patients have improved gut function that they're able to absorb the oral medication better or that the the action of midodrine more closely matches the physiological changes that occur with a neuroaxial block. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yep. Yeah. So that's really probably where it's going to be most effective yeah. in these sorts of patients. And that's the sort of patient groups that we were thinking about using it in. Patients yeah, exactly. who are otherwise well, didn't have a serious cause for hypotension like sepsis or um, blood loss, which is obviously not appropriately treated with midodrine. Yeah. <laughs> but we right. just had been given, you know, a spinal and a general anaesthetic and various other things and their sympathetic tone was a bit decreased and we wanted to sort of augment it. Yeah, that's right. So um, there was a Blue Book article, Australasian Anesthesia article in 2019. Yes. By a few anaesthetists from Perth. Um, so Akinat, Fleming and Corcoran. And they have a really nice flow diagram showing what patients will probably benefit from midodrine the most. And we're definitely looking at those patients with the low systemic vascular resistance um, looking at pe- people where their hypotension is primarily due to the surgical stress response or a SERS response, yep. um, sympathetic depression, just peripheral vasodilatation, or sympathylysis from a neuroaxial block. Yep. Um, and not uh, using it for patients who have more <clears throat> serious um, causes for their hypotension, such as hemorrhage or sepsis. Yes. We would not use it in those situations. Just. Um Quick important point that's popped into my head in case we forget to mention it. So we're not mm. going to be using it in women who are breastfeeding after a neuroaxial because I don't think we've um, clarified whether it's a safe thing to do. Um, you know, obviously we don't know whether metadrine is excreted in the breast milk to the to the babies, but we but we are in the, our gynaecology patients who are having uh, you know mm. post operative um, hypotension. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's right. I don't think that that there's insufficient data for pregnancy or breastfeeding at the moment. And so um, the pharmacy felt quite strong, pharmacist here felt quite strongly that we should um, avoid it in these patients. Uh, Yeah, I agree. Um, So we're just using it mostly for our gynae patients. (coughs) Although probably the alternative is that we'll be giving them metaraminol or phenylephrine if they're needing something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so I guess moving on to contraindications or people yep. that shouldn't have um, midodrine. I mentioned um, uh, major hemorrhage um, causing hypovolemia or sepsis. Um, some other things that have popped up is um, patients with um, renal disease. Um, there is a risk of urinary retention with the midodrine. Uh, severe heart, um, structural heart disease, thyrotoxicosis or hypothyroidism. Pheochromocytomas, um, yep. proliferative diabetic retinopathy, because you can um, you can get um, intraocular raised intraocular pressure in these yep. patients. I guess uh, that's probably one that we might uh, slip under the radar. I think most people with mm. a pheochromocytoma <laughs> don't need the thing. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I imagine that they'll be on five anti antihypertensives anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think they're saying, um, yep. you know, these patients are at risk of severe hypertension, so yep. to be be cautious of <laughs> yes. Hopefully they're not hypertensive. So really for us, the main things is cardiac disease, sepsis and um, hemorrhage in our yep. patient population here yep. who we're uh, avoiding it with. Yeah, and I guess we should be mindful in some of our elderly patients, et cetera, who, um, just thinking about them if they've got any um, diseases of the eye, which are a contraindication. Yeah, that's something I, I think that I could probably um, miss if I'm not if I wasn't making making an effort to 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 check that. Yeah, uh, in some of the orthopedic studies, they did note um, urine retention as one of the main yep. side effects. So I think that's always something to look out for as well. In, yeah. especially in an elderly patient who's getting more agitated, or yep, um, it could be a side effect of midodrine. So yeah, something that's true. to um, sort of talk to the nursing staff and the patient about as well just because it's one of the most common side effects. Um, And then other side effects, of course, are hypertension, um, puritis, puritis, uh, insomnia, and um, abnormal hepatic function or raised liver enzymes. Yep. But that's quite rare. Yep. So insomnia is is bad because we we know that um, in patients, if they don't sleep properly, they get delirium and all that sort of stuff too. So I guess that would be something to keep an eye out for. Although often uh, we're giving them lots of painkillers and things as well, aren't we? So yeah. if they've had surgery, so they're m- often they're quite drowsy. Mm. Yeah, we're not going to um, be monitoring these patients any differently than we would without the midodrine, um, but we do um, recommend that we wouldn't be using the midodrine if their systolic blood pressure was sort of over 110, 120 okay. anyway. <clears throat> so you write that on the chart when, when you're... Uh, writing it up. Um, yeah. This is a, this is an audio medium that we're using to. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to write less than one hundred and thirty. Yeah, we can give it. Okay. And if it's over one hundred and thirty systolic, withhold. we're not going to give okay. it. And withhold yeah. it. Yeah. Makes so, sense. So I think there's different dosing for metadrine that people use in different centres. Um, from what I've read, um, but we based our guideline on one of our local hospitals. Um, in terms of our dosing. And so we've decided that we will give a 20 milligram as a stat dose, um, followed by 10 milligrams for hourly afterwards, yep. as long as their systolic blood pressure remains under 130. And we're only going to do that for 48 hours. Yep. And then we're going to stop it. That's good. 
and we're going to put a maximum of 70 milligrams per day um, just in terms of the loading dose and then giving the 10 milligrams per day as well. Um, and the nurses are just going to be doing their routine for hourly observations on the patients. Yes, which involves measuring blood pressures regularly. So. Yeah, and heart rates. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, is that it? That's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty, pretty much, much it, it. Yep. I think. They're the main thing, main points we have for um, the new guideline here. Yep. Uh, I don't know of any patients here that we have used midadrenon since the, this guideline was written, but we yep. certainly have used it once for a post-operative gynae patient that appeared to yes. help and yeah. get the patient off, to, off vasopressors into the ward. And yeah, so we have, we have quite a lot of patients who have major sort of cancer surgery or um, gynecological surgery who... Um, Sometimes end up in our, our high dependency unit, and um, sometimes the, the next day they're on like you know five mils an hour or less of metoramidol. But we can't every time we try and turn it off, their blood pressure is too low to, to, to stop it. And so I, I think, um, and most of the time that is because, as we've mentioned before, they've had I don't know they've had uh, all the you know analgesic drugs like clonidine and hydromorphone and GA, and they might have had a spinal, and they may or they may have taken their Amlodipine in their candesartan the day before as well, and yeah. they're just a bit saggy for a day or two. Um, so I, I foresee that every now and then we'll have an um, occasional patient where this might be a useful thing to help us, um, you know, get them off that little little bit of vasopressor that they're stuck on, and we can help us to the you know we can move remove the outline and get them mobilising, get them out of bed, and then potentially off to the ward. Yeah, so there there was a um, you know recently a gynae patient on some vasopressors for a couple of days, which in retrospect we could have used midadrine for earlier because it's yep. most likely a post neuraxial cause for the hypotension. Yeah, um, so it'll be good if we can start using it earlier in recovery, even or um, at the beginning <coughs> of their post op journey. Yeah, just I suspect that um, we're probably just not as fam- not that familiar with it yet, so they'll probably take a bit yeah. of time for people to get comfortable. Yeah. Um, I guess the take-home points, because we're, we're pretty much finished now, but the take-home points are that this is really, I guess if you've got a patient with um, hypotension, you really need to be, you know, we don't want this to be seen as like um, uh, a reflex the thing that you start giving people, anyone, anyone who's got hypotension starts getting minadrine. It's really a, only a select group of um, fairly well patients who mm. it should probably be used in and most of the time if someone's got hypotension you want to make sure you're not missing some serious cause of hypotension before you start using this exactly um, because patients do have concealed bleeding or um, uh, sepsis comes on uh, presents this way after surgery sometimes plus lots of other things PEs you know all the causes of potential causes of hypotension yeah and I think um, just beware that there are some um Contraindications that are important yep. to make sure um, you're giving it to the right patients and that you're not going to cause any harm yep. by using it. <clears throat> but having said that, I think it's going to be a really uh, a useful little tool to, to help us look after patients better. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I think it will uh, uh, find, find its niche. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks thanks again, Rolly. Thanks for sharing that. And hopefully um, there's probably a lot, quite a few listeners out there who have maybe got more experience with... Um, or a dream than us and uh, if you've got any comments you know, let us know yeah thanks for okay. having me thank you Bye. cheers
Thanks for listening, everyone. Please go to the iTunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it. Write a review. This will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the iTunes menu. If you're also interested, please go to our website at www.opsandguinecritcare.org where there'll be lots of show notes and links to uh, interesting videos related to the topic that you've just listened to. See you again next time.